Amen. All right. All right. So uh, continuing the series called Refocus um, and, and how life comes into focus as we focus on Jesus. So I have in my hands here uh, an AED. I had the opportunity to do some, to go to a training. I, my CPR training had lapsed, and so went to a training here in our community this last week and walked in. There were actually uh, several folks from Trinity there, and so you, you need to feel really, really safe that lots of us know CPR. Don't ask us to put our mouth on, on your mouth because that's weird, but uh, short of that, we'll help you out, okay? Um, but, uh, but we have this AED that's mounted in our, in our foyer, um, and, uh, and so I was really glad that I went through this training because now I know how to use the AED. You open it up, and all kinds of prompts are given. And, and, uh, and I thought that this automated external defibrillator, I had kind of, when we first got it, I thought, well, should we, like, lock it up? Because I, I imagined something that was like pads you would just put on somebody and just push a button, and, sh- and, and, and it would just shock them for no reason. I could just see a bunch of kids getting a hold of that and shocking each other, and it's just not going to be a good thing. But it actually scans your heart rate. And it only will shock you if your heart is out of rhythm. Um, and, 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 and what that, uh, uh, what that defibrillation does is it takes a heart that's out of rhythm and it shocks that heart back into rhythm. And, and so as we're sitting there practicing this and we're practicing on the dummies and all that, and uh, you know, I just couldn't help but think about my own life and, and, and think about how wouldn't it be nice if there was a device spiritually that when, when my heart was out of rhythm, somebody could just come and and put on me, push a button, and just shock me where I was, where I was back where I needed to be. Because um, if, like the song says, you know, prone to wander, uh, how I feel it, prone to leave the, the God I love, our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to getting out of rhythm. Um, and, uh, you know, just want to kind of dive into Colossians at the kind of the latter part of the passage, beginning in of Colossians 3 verse 12, and just read these character traits that Paul talks about. These are character traits that accompany transformation. If Christ is working in you, if you know Jesus, he is working to develop these virtues in you. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, chosen ones. I mean, isn't that amazing? Holy and beloved. Um, He says, this is your identity. Again, before Paul tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. He says, if you know Jesus, you're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved. Isn't that amazing? I thought so. Um, compassion, thanks for your intense response. Uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How do I forgive? As the Lord has forgiven you. That kind of makes it hard for me to come up with any like workarounds, doesn't it? We forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this outfit that Paul's describing, we put off the old dirty, nasty clothes, and we put on this new set of clothes. He says love is what just, you know, uh, maybe there's some real uh, you know, fashion folks in there, and, and maybe, maybe you put on an outfit, and there's just that one piece of the outfit that just really like ties the outfit together. Travis, do you have that experience where you find that accessory that just ties it all together? And Paul says, uh, that's what love is. Love ties the whole outfit together. Love uh, brings it all and holds all these other virtues together. But as we think about kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness, bearing with each other, having a long fuse, um, these aren't qualities that we can just decide to have, right? I mean, how many of us have said, you know what, 
today I am gonna I'm gonna jump out of bed and I'm gonna I'm gonna be patient. I am gonna be gentle, and no matter what happens, I'm gonna be gentle today. How does that often go? Um, um, often that doesn't work, and we don't will. We can't just will that to happen. And and so maybe your spouse is a jerk, or your boss is a jerk, or or your dog's a jerk, or whatever the case may be. And we're, I'm going to be so patient today. Nobody's ever seen anybody as patient as I'm going to be. And and we try to just make that happen. And then often that just kind of blows up in our face because these aren't virtues that we can live out just by trying really hard. But also some of us feel like, well, I'm just going to kind of lay around, and God's just going to slap all that on me when he's ready for me to have it. And, and that doesn't work either. And so uh, we do have a role to play in developing these Christian virtues. We do have a role to play, but it's not, we can't accomplish this by just trying really hard. These, these are formed in us. And so Christian virtue flows out of a life lived in rhythm with God. Christian virtue flows out of a life lived in rhythm with God. As I'm, as I'm living in rhythm with God, what happens over time is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, things like com- compassion and, and forgiveness and, and meekness and gentleness and a long fuse. Those are things that, that are cultivated and that are developed in me as I live life in rhythm with God. But again, my problem is I continually get out of rhythm with God. My heart gets out of rhythm. I love, and I quote this often, I love uh, the movie and the book, A River Runs Through It by Norman McLean. And McLean writes, he says, my, As a Scot and a Presbyterian, my father believed that man by nature was a mess and had fallen from an original state of grace and that only by picking up God's rhythms were we able to regain power and beauty. That's a really, really great way, a really beautiful way to put things. Is man by nature is a mess who has fallen from an original state of grace. And it's only by picking up on God's rhythms that we can be restored uh, and, be, and regain power and beauty. So I want to think with you today about what are some practices that we can, that we can incorporate into our lives that are kind of like this AED machine that, that shock us back into rhythm with God and with one another. Because we know that if I'm out of rhythm with God, then trying to be in rhythm with you, it's not going to happen. Uh, so, so what are practices that can help my heart get in rhythm and stay in rhythm with God and with others? Um, and, and, the, and the thought to hold on to today is that refocusing our mind on Christ gives you the mind of Christ. Refocusing your mind on Christ gives you the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ, like, what do I mean by that? Well, a couple of times in the New Testament, we're told that we have the mind of Christ. That when, if you have a faith relationship with Jesus, then, then his mindset, his attitude, his, his way of viewing the, the world and others and you is actually given to you. That you can operate and you can take on his mindset. Um, and that's part of what happens as we're transformed. So refocusing your mind on Christ gives you the mind of Christ. And I, I, and I speak about the mind because where Paul begins here in Colossians 3 is he, he, he begins with our thinking. Um, did you know that, well, of course you know, that, that our thinking can often be crooked? Crooked? Are we familiar with crooked thinking? And crooked thinking always, always, always favors and, and leans towards evil. Crooked thinking always leans to sin and evil and destruction. 
And so surprisingly, where Paul begins, I believe, here in Colossians 3 and talking about how to get our heart in rhythm with God is he talks about what to do with our minds. So Colossians 3.1, he says, Since you have been raised with Christ, seek or keep seeking the things that are above. Some translations say set your heart on the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, verse 2, on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. So you see what it says? It says, Seek, keep seeking the things that are above. Then he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Um, we said last week that before Paul tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. He tells us what our identity is. He says, he says man, you, you, you've been, if you're a Christian, you've been risen with Christ and you've died with Christ. That's where your identity is. And before he tells us anything to do, he reminds us of who we are. And so hold on to that truth. It's an important truth. But another thing that Paul does simultaneously with that, of telling us what our identity is, 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 is at the same time he's emphasizing our new identity as dead and risen people, he tells us what to do with our mind. He tells us as dead and risen people, as crucified and risen people, he tells us what to do with our mind, where to place our focus. Um, and why does Paul care what we do with our mind? Because crooked thinking leads to crooked living and broken community. Um, so set your mind on. What does that mean? How, how does setting our mind on the things above result in our heart getting in focus with God. The, the transformation that Paul is describing in this chapter um, is a transformation of thoughts, of feelings, um, of character, as God does a work inside of you. That's a work that happens from, from, the inside, from heaven to earth and from inside out. As, as God transforms us from the inside out, our thoughts and our feelings are formed and shaped by God's Word. And that's going to affect me personally that affects you personally, but that also affects and impacts your community. Uh, so nobody can practice the one another's of Scripture. The study we're talking about, the one another's of Scripture, and there's some great ones in this passage. Admonish one another and love one another. Forgive one another. Elsewhere in the New Testament, you've got encourage one another and you've got um, serve one another. And, and, and nobody can practice the one another's of Scripture if we're not experiencing ongoing transformation. I can't love and serve and forgive you if there's not this ongoing work of God happening in my life. And sometimes we talk about this great thing that God did 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago or five years. Man, I had this experience, with, and I'm so glad. But, and man, I'm not the only one that's glad, but, part, but, part of, but what needs to be happening if, 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 if transformation is ongoing? Like, what did God do in you five minutes ago? What did God do in you last Thursday? Is God still working? Are you still cooperating with him working? And this ongoing transformation, the word for that is renewal. And in Colossians 3.10, Paul says that we are being renewed. Romans 12.2 says that we're, renewed, we're, we're transformed by the renewing, renewing of our minds. So notice the importance that Paul places on our thought life. He says, set your minds. Verse 2, Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on the things above. He's emphasizing our thinking. Notice he doesn't say set your feelings on the things above. 
Paul doesn't tell us to, to feel heavenly feelings. He tells us to think heavenly thoughts. And this is a very, very, very important thing. Because I feel all kinds of things. Did you know that? I feel like quitting. I feel like throat punching people. I feel, on a daily basis, I feel like throat punching people. Um, it's a feeling, okay? And, well, I can't believe that preacher. What kind of preacher is he? Okay. Um, we're a feeling culture. We ask each other, how do you feel? How are you feeling? And that's fine. I, I want to know how you're feeling. We need to talk about it. I mean, I'll talk with you about your feelings all day long. Love it. But maybe every now and then we should ask each other, how are you thinking? Not what are you thinking necessarily. <laughs> I'm thinking about throat punching you. Well, how, how is your thinking? Is it clear? Is it biblical? Is it formed by God's word? Where is your mind at? Um, Paul focuses on where our minds are, are, are focused. Um, and so your feelings matter and your feelings are real. But what we say around here a lot is that our feelings are not reliable necessarily. Our feelings are not a reliable measurement or gauge. So if we're flying a plane, the feeling gauge is one of the gauges. But if that's the only gauge I'm looking at, I'm going to crash and burn. There's other gauges that I have to take into account. And so uh, your feelings are real and they matter, but they're not reliable. Another thing about feelings is we can't just choose our feelings, can we? Like if you're anxious right now, or if you're afraid right now, like you can tell yourself all day long not to feel that, but you do feel that. And so we can't just choose our feelings, but you know what you can choose? You can choose your thoughts. And there's this incredible power that God has given you as a human created in his image. He's given you, Dallas Willard puts it this way, our ultimate freedom, the ultimate freedom, Willard writes, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. We have much more freedom choosing our thoughts than we do choosing our feelings. And the thoughts that we choose will eventually give shape to the feelings we feel. The thoughts that we choose will eventually give shape to the feelings we feel. And so how this works um, in my life is, um, is man, I'm, maybe I'll be fe feeling afraid or anxious or angry or whatever, and so I'll set my mind on some truth, and then five seconds later I'm saying, but I still feel bad. Yeah, it, it's not like an instant thing. The bad feelings are still there. But as I set my mind on Christ... Over and over and over again, my feelings eventually will follow. My thoughts eventually shape my feelings. So what are thoughts? I want to lean on Dallas Willard again. Willard says that, Dallas Willard writes that, that our thoughts are made up of ideas, images, and information. Our thoughts are made up of ideas, images, and information. And let's just pause right there for a second. I'm willing to bet, in fact, I'm more than bet, I know that every single person in this room, our lives have been, gathered, have been governed by a, a certain set of images and ideas and information, even if that information is incorrect. Our lives have been governed by images, ideas, and information since before we can even remember. And 
And we're going to come back around to that in a minute. But part of what happens in transformation is that those faulty images about who God is and about who I am, that faulty information about who God is and who I am and how the world works, uh, that those faulty ideas are replaced by truth, by gospel ideas, gospel images, gospel information. So a lot of times we talk about how we're not just supposed to be informed, we're supposed to be transformed, and that's true. I preach that, I'll preach that every day and twice on Sunday. But that doesn't mean that the answer is to be ignorant, okay? We are called to be informed by God's word. But information has to lead to transformation. Information, be informed, this idea, images, information. You think it's an accident that Jesus has given us an image that's the most, has become the most readily recognized image in the world? Go anywhere on this planet, people are going to know what that cross stands for. And in my darkest and most confused and most upside down moments, I can grab a hold of that and I can call that image to my mind. Um, Isaac Watts, we sang a song earlier called, the, we call it, we sang the wonderful cross because it's a new course is attached to it, originally called When I Survey the Wondrous, the wonderful, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And, 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 and that's an amazing song. A lot of people don't know that Isaac Watts also wrote, he wrote a lot of songs. He also wrote, wrote a textbook on logic about how to think. This is a brilliant man. And you can tell as you read the words to, those, to that song that he had spent an amazing and an inordinate amount of time actually thinking about what the cross means. There's information, there's ideas, there's images that the scripture contains that can come in and form us and shape us where we've received lies and faulty images, ideas, and information. So we have these prevailing ideas and uh, images and information that have ruled our lives. And this is why Paul, just a couple pages before this in your Bible, Philippians 4, 8 says, Think about whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable. He says, think on these things. So I want to give you two thoughts. Can I give you two things to think about? I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Two things to think about. When, you know, whether life is going just spectacularly for you right now, or whether life is just confusing right now, uh, whatever crisis may be going on, whatever confusing or hard thing might be going on, or whatever great thing might be going on, I want to give you two thoughts that you can think about. And these two thoughts are not necessarily going to transform your circumstance. But these two thoughts will, I promise you, over time, they will transform you. And the first thought is found in Revelation chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. We're going to have it on the screen. Um, one thing you can think about, regardless of what's going on, this is part of what it means to, to set your mind on things above, is you can think about how holy God is. Think about how holy God is. The Apostle John, his life wasn't going great. He had been exiled to an island. He's an old man at this point. He's, he's far away from everybody that he loves. And he's praying, and God gives him a vision full of images, okay, and ideas and information. After this, I looked up, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me, was like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And John is given this opportunity to kind of go up in the control room and see reality as it really is. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, there was a throne that stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper, 
and cornelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning. And we have the picture so far. There's this huge throne, and there's this amazing holy uh, person, God, sitting on it. There's all these thrones around him. And from the throne, there's lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. And before the throne, there were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. This is weird, isn't it? And the first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third uh, the face of a man, the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And all day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and they cast their crowns before the throne singing, worthy are you, O God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Regardless of what's going on in your life, you can think about God's holiness. This is is an amazing picture that John has given of reality as it is. See, thinking on things above doesn't mean your life doesn't matter. It matters that you may not be able to pay the bills this month. It matters that you may be sick. It matters that your life may be exploding. All that matters. But setting your mind on what's above puts your life in context, that there is a bigger story going on that you have the privilege of being a part of, and you have the privilege of being invited into this everlasting, eternal chorus of worship to this holy and incredible God who's worthy like setting think about that like think of how often do we think about that that there is a god seated on a throne worthy of worship and there is gonna there, there is all around him worshipers just shouting how holy he is and we are invited into that think about god's holiness and that's going to change your brain that's going to refocus your vision that's going to Get your heart in rhythm. Second, think about how, not only think about how holy God is, think about how humble Jesus is. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, complete my joy, fulfill my joy by being of the same, what? Mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition. He's talking about how we relate to each other. Or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ. What kind of mind? The mind he just described. The humble mind. The mind that's not after me and what I want. The mind that, is, that, that, that looks to others and says, how can I serve somebody else? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count the, the being equal with God, something to grasp with a clenched fist. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave being made in the likeness of men. But he emptied himself. And he, and, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of the death, even the death of a cross. 
when, when life is just crazy and your emotions are all over the map and you don't know what to do, you can think about, set your mind on how holy, how big, how amazing God is. And you can set your mind on how humble Jesus is. And that's something that, that's something that we need every single day. Boss is a jerk, spouse is a jerk, kids are little jerks, whatever's going on in your life, dog's a jerk, whatever's going on. Wow, let me just set my mind. Like, I'm not saying, okay, Jesus is humble, God is holy, okay, my problem's still here. No, I'm talking about like, like, like fix your attention. Think about it. Think about God's holiness. Think about Jesus' humility, and that will transform your character. I love Psalm 16, 8 that says, I have set the Lord always before me. There's a way of living that is, is, is setting the Lord always before us. And do we get distracted? Yes. That's why we got to refocus over and over and over again. Who's God? Who is He? Refocusing your mind on Christ gives you the mind of Christ. And then, and then Paul in, in, in Colossians 3, picking up verse 5, goes on to talk about this daily renewal. Um, and then we're going to wrap up. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which all amounts to idolatry. He says, put to death anything. He says, don't make an idol out of sex. Don't make an idol out of relationships. Don't, make, uh, don't, 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 don't do with your body uh, uh, what this world tells you to do with your body. Man, your body's created in God's image, and it's special, and it's good. And, and, there, and there's a covenant relationship that, that, that God desires and designs for you. This isn't just about keeping a rule. This is about who you are and who you're becoming. It says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And, and, and man, we don't like to talk about the wrath of God, but you know what the wrath of God means? The wrath of God means that God is not going to leave me stuck in my sin. God is not going to leave this world uh, broken, but he is going to set things right. There's all around this world, people that are the victims of injustice and oppression are crying out for God's wrath to set things right. Um, and then he goes on to say, and these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must not, you must put them all. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Wait a minute. We, we don't get to have wrath, but God does? Exactly. God is better at wrath than I'm ever going to be. Um, put away your wrath. Put away your anger. Uh, put away your malice. Put away your gossip. Put away your obscene talk from your mouth. Stop lying to each other. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. See, our sinful life had all these practices that we engaged in. But now you put on the new self with new practices that is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. All racial, ethnic distinctions have been done away with in Christ. That affects our one another's, doesn't it? May affect whether we try to understand where other people are coming from or just rather than just maybe jump into conclusions. One another's. He says this new self is being renewed. You know, my house was new 80 years ago. But as soon as it was born, there was a time that it was just sparkly and new and everything worked. But it's been decomposing for the last 80 years. And so now, like, people have come and they've added on to this side, added on to this side. They've gone up, they've gone out. We've come in, we've taken doors out, added doors in, renovated bathroom, added a porch. I say, oh man, this section of plumbing is terrible and stinky. I've got to remove this, got to replace this. 
This, this, uh, this outlet is, is fried. i got to replace it. There's this ongoing practice of renovation happening, and that's the way your life is. If you're walking with Jesus, he is always at work renovating you. And, and, and I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. That, and I'm going to paraphrase him here. You just wanted God to come in and kind of fix your roof and kind of make a little shack. But he starts adding wings and adding towers. He's making a mansion out of you because he himself intends to live there. That's, that's what renovation is about. God is at work renewing your life. Paul says, put off Put on, man, my sin, the world will tell you that you just sin this way, whether it's in your speech or whether it's in, 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 in your sexual activity or whether it's in the way you treat people at work, whatever. The world will say, oh, you just do this because, uh, uh, you know, because you've had a hard time or whatever. And you know, The world will nurture your sin. And we're called to nurture one another, but we're never called to nurture sin in one another. I'm not called to nurture sin in myself. Paul tells me I've got to put my sin to death. John Owen wrote hundreds of years ago, he wrote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be... I'm not talking about everybody else's sin that looks so ugly to you. I'm talking about the sin of the person we look in the mirror at. The tempter, when the tempter came to Eve and Adam, he didn't hit Eve and Adam with a stick and say, eat this fruit. The tempter hit Eve and Adam with an idea. God can't be trusted. With an image, can you just see yourself eating this fruit? And with an inform- uh, the, uh, a lie, false information, what God said isn't going to happen. And that's the way temptation has worked ever since. And early on in your life, before you had any forces or defenses, you were presented um, either through temptation or through abuse or through struggle, you were presented with false images, false ideas, false information about who you are and about, how, and about who God is. And renewal is about tearing down those old lies, that construction that somebody did that's no good, and replacing those lies with truth. That hurts. And we can't do it without God's help. We can't do it without one another. So how, what are practices that need to be incorporated into our lives? The band's coming up. What are practices that can shock our hearts back into rhythm? Again, verse 12, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Gratitude is a practice that shocks my heart into rhythm. Let the word of Christ, verse 16, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, Let the word of Christ... Uh, dwell in you richly. God's word shocks my heart. That's why so many of us, we keep God's word at arm's length. And I get it, it can be confusing and we go to sleep and it's, it's, it's a struggle sometimes, but God, plant God's word in your heart and you will grow. Your life will be renovated. 
That word uh, in, in you also can be translated among you. Let the word of Christ dwell among you. You need some community, whether it's a group of, uh, of guys or ladies that you have coffee with or whether it's a life group or it's a re-engage group or it's a Bible study. We emphasize small group community here, not just because we want you to have more stuff to do, but because we need community that's, that's grounded in God's word. Community shocks my heart back into rhythm. God's word shocks my heart back into rhythm. rhythm. Gratitude shocks my heart back into rhythm. He says singing uh, and admonishing one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. We don't sing songs just because they're pretty. We sing songs because there's something that happens in a human heart when we sing either in the shower or in the car or when we're all gathered together here. There's something that happens as we engage our hearts with songs, singing truth. It shocks our heart back into rhythm with God. Refocusing your mind on Christ gives you the mind of Christ. As we, as we wrap up... Um, ask you to go back to what have been those governing images, ideas, information that maybe have become strongholds in my life. How, how is God calling me to put off what is old and put on what is new? What's my next step? 